Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory for him. Take that back. Christ is baptized. In the Jordan. Yeah. Is this actually recording? Um, it is, but our, our uh, monitor's not on. Now monitor's on. It was recording. Oh. But that might be the secret. I'll turn the monitor off. <laughs> If, yeah. if you if you heard uh, if you heard Father Nathan get frustrated in our last recording, it was because uh, we're still having some issues. Probably my computer with uh, no, it just delays. So we we talk and then like half a second later, we hear a voice through the uh, yeah through the earphones. This is a delay. I'm actually headphones. looking right now at the old M audio mixer, the one that drove us crazy. Uh, I don't think you ever recorded. On I the didn't. M-audio. I've, I've, I'm the new guy. I've only used this one. Oh my gosh, that M audio. If anybody's looking for a mixer, like, and they want to take a chance with the M Audio, <laughs> I will personally sign that thing. I'll send it to you. If you want to be tortured for your first two years of whatever Actually, podcast you want to pro- start, they'll probably figure it out and it'll be fine. But mm. that M Audio thing. Oof. So, so pre shout out, I have no idea what it's going to be called, but my little niece Shaylee, thirteen, is getting more. More and more serious about starting her own podcast. So she got some equipment for Christmas. She got some audio. Yeah, who knows? She might need an audio. She needs. She needs something. I think she's now. She's. I mean, she's a charter generation. She can do almost everything just from her phone. Um, Yeah. But uh, but yeah, she wants to start something. She has a couple of friends in mind that she can uh, team up with, and and knowing her bright, bright, holy little girl, so. When uh, when she gets it going, I'll be giving her a shout out. You guys start listening to her. Did her we say this is Catholic things. stuff? You should know. This is Catholic. You should know. <laughs> Father Michael Lachlan. <laughs> Father Nathan Goble. <laughs> Father Nathan. Yeah. You, know, you just went right in. That's for the it. name of our podcast. <laughs> it's the name of our podcast. Okay, maybe uh, Shaylee. You know, like you know, if you start a podcast, like have a regular intro. Yeah. Don't talk about bodily fluids <laughs> coming out of your leg. <laughs> These are important things. Uh, you learn, learn from our mistakes, Shaylee, and, and and do your own thing and learn from our mistakes. <laughs> That's the weird thing is right now. Right now, it sounds fine. Yeah, well, we'll see. It does. You're gonna throw the headphones in about ten minutes. No, it it was already started last time. Well, maybe we need to start without hitting monitor. That's the only thing I did differently this time was I I didn't have the monitor on when I first started it. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. we'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. It always do. All right. So I I don't even have a name. For this podcast, we never do. I know because I, I okay. So I'm. I promise you guys, I'm going to do the regret one soon. But I, I was going to do it now, but I just don't. As I was preparing I for it, I regret not doing it. But like, as I was preparing for it, I realized that that a lot of my thoughts are very Lenten and ascetical and penitential. So it'll be good to happen this Lent. So I hope to have it done this Lent. And Could then have done it in Advent, right? <laughs> or honestly, for us crazy Byzantines. Pre-Lent starts tomorrow. What? So you don't do any fasting. You just prepare to fast, but it starts tomorrow. Tomorrow's the Sunday of Zacchaeus. So we're recording now on uh, January 13th. Um, and so pre-Lent, which is like a, a a time of where we hear readings, et cetera, that prepare us for Lent. So like tomorrow's Zacchaeus Sunday. So we hear the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus repented. He said, I'll give half my property to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. We have, um, in this time, we have the Sunday of the prodigal son 
prodigal son, again, repented. We have the story of the publican and the Pharisee. The publican repented. Um, so it's the, these, we hear these Publican. gospels of pub- <laughs> publican. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, publican. Publican and, and the Pharisee who, uh, who, again, repentance. So we have these stories of repentance. And the, the story I want to begin the Re- Regret podcast with is actually Forgiveness Sunday, which is this Sunday before Lent begins. So Sweet. Um, I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait and record that next time. Um, so then I was just going to do a podcast on my frustrations over the past, like, week. Um, I've had nice, and I, I'll, I guess I'll kick it off with that. Happy so, Festivus! Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, airing your grievances. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to just make this a, a whining podcast. But um, so maybe straighten me out. Like, don't let it be just a whining podcast, Father Nathan. So, um, a couple things happened. Um, I thought about calling this podcast. Maybe I will. Um, just organize religion. Like, why do so many people nowadays hate organized religion? Like, what is it that turns them off from that phrase? Why do they, when they hear the word Catholic or anything, and they just kind of roll their eyes? Um, I've I've had two experiences. One was last night, and um, I was sitting at the bar at Viale, my, one of my new evangelization hotspots, and I was chatting, and I said something that deeply offended a woman. Harumph. Yeah. That wasn't it. But a deeply offended her, because I, I said I had some acquaintances who did not give their children any guidance when it came to faith. And I had these, these neighbors, they were amazing. I sat on their, uh, I sat on their son's Eagle Scout board. Uh-huh. Um, and he was amazing. This kid is absolutely amazing. And the, but he was raised with no faith at all. And he, I sat on this board, he talked and he was incredibly eloquent for a 17 year old kid about what he thought faith was. Come on. Did you spill your drink? I spilled my bourbon into my seat and then sat in it. How does that even happen? A classic. Um, <laughs> just feel it through your pants. I did. <laughs> You're sitting on the board of an eagle scout. I'm sitting on the board of an eagle and this kid is just so incredibly impressive. So I'm telling this story, trying to be positive, because this woman at the bar says, I was born and raised Catholic, so was my husband, but neither of us are in the church anymore. Again, I hear this all the time. Neither is in the church anymore. And so, um, you know, we have a son. So, but she hadn't told me about this yet. I just met her that night. So, so when I said they raised their children without any guidance in the faith, she got offended and said, just because we're not raising our kid in any organized religion doesn't mean we're not giving them any guidance in the faith. And I said, well, what do you mean by faith? And literally at this point, she was standing up, like putting her jacket on. She was leaving. So I said to her, you know, I don't, I don't know if you have time to get into this, but I would love to talk to you about what it is. And she says, I'm ra- again, very typical. I'm raising my kid to have compassion. Like that's yeah. the thing to have compassion. And, and the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, why, why compassion? Like there are people in this world that obviously don't have compassion. And she knows that. Why are they living a worse life when you have no faith basis? You don't, believe in in a god that is objectively knowable you don't believe in objective truth so there's not you can't get it more or less true it's just kind of what i want to raise my kids to to what i say makes this world a better world mm-hmm. and i go my like i understand what she's saying I have a soft heart. I, I, I want to be compassionate. I want all those things and i think it makes sense it's built into our humanity to to desire compassion but 
at the heart of it, if you don't believe in a personal God, that is just so selfish. It's like, be compassionate. Why? Why? Like, what, what does that do? And, and if I just die and I go into oblivion, there's no afterlife. Like, why be compassionate? Why not just be incredibly selfish your whole life? Yeah. Take everything for yourself. Li- live a hedonistic life of just every pleasure I want having it in the moment. And then when I try to tell my kids to be compassionate, I think that there's a foundation of Christianity within our country that you can only say that because there's a Christian foundation. If there wasn't a Christian foundation and people didn't have some sort of built-in sociological um, Christianity, in other words, like treasuring self-gift, care for the poor, all these things that, that are Christian, they wouldn't be saying the only thing I'm really raising my kid with is a sense of compassion, because that makes no logical sense if there's not a personal God. If there is a personal God, absolutely. If there's not, then to me, as far as I can think, it's just about saying, allow yourself to feel better about what you're doing, that you're not just a hedonist, but there is something deeper and transcendent. I mean, Mr. Rogers wasn't exactly like going into uh, a personal God and, right. you know, there's but, all these things. But, I mean, I think he, Mr. Rogers would say, have compassion. And I, I think he would too, but I think my my more inquisitive skeptic mind would say, why? Why is that a human principle? Because, I mean, they see that it's better. So, I, exactly, exactly. So, I, I think that in itself presumes an objective morality. Like, like again, truth, beauty, and goodness. This is what I said to her. Truth, beauty, and goodness. Do you want to instill in your sense, in your kids, a sense and a desire for truth, beauty, and goodness? And she said, yes. But I think if I had gone, which is good, of course it's good. I, I believe the same but if you go deeper without, again, a personal God who created everything and, and has a concern for us. And has shown compassion right. towards us. When you start asking yeah. these deeper questions like, why be compassionate? Why? Like, like, you just can't answer those things. They just say, well, it's absurd not to. And I say, well, it's the Christian foundation of your, upraising, of your upbringing that instilled that sense in you. I mean— I think that if we if we want to exhibit compassion towards people in our kind of modern mindset, it would be that they would have free access to healthcare, the same healthcare that we have. Right. That they would have access to internet, clean water, that they would live in sort of suburban environments that are clean and I don't know, traffic laws and all that stuff. We would just try to replicate Littleton. Right. <laughs> like, you know, Winnetka right. and turn it into like, you know, Iran, like Iran would now be Tucson or something like right. that. Manicured gardens and whatever else. And people would be nice to each other. Right. There wouldn't be any fighting. It would just be everybody would be nice. Right. And we would all like, you know, order our, you know, Charmin toilet paper through Alexa yeah. on Amazon. <laughs> and I'm like. Is that really the world that we're looking to create? Right. Because that, that seems like a pretty pretty empty world. Yeah. It, it, it's that whole thing about nice. Like, we, it happened after 9-11. Like, people were so shaken 
rightly so by 9-11, that, that they started asking the deeper questions and they started desiring what was transcendent. If you read the book Bad Religion by Ross um, Duthot, I don't know how to pronounce it, I think it's Duthot, um, Bad Religion, he talks about after the photos of like the atrocities in Auschwitz and Birkenau came out during World War II, people turned to faith because this, these atrocities, these horrible evils that humans committed, there was no explanation for them unless there was such thing as a transcendent good and such thing as a transcendent evil. And these things were so evil that they, they were beyond the capacity. If every human being inherently knows that they just need to be nice. If every human being just inherently knows they need to have compassion on their neighbor, then this makes no sense that an entire population could just say it's okay to kill off, yeah. you know, the, 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 all Jews. I mean, it was, it, it was just absurd. And so people turned to uh, the way he put it was that people said the only explanation for this much evil is original sin. That's the only explanation for these evils, that, that human beings could do this. And I think that we are sitting in a culture now in Western Europe and the United States where we have grown incredibly content and restful in, in so many ways that, that things like 9-11 shake us but didn't shake us enough. Things like the, the, you know, all the shootings happening yeah, now. Right. You know, we're, we're kind of numb to them, but it's going to take something horrible to kind of get us to say there, there's a deeper reality here. And unfortunately, with physician-assisted suicide and, and like all these things coming up, it's like the, the, the way out of I, I can live a, a life of, you know, being young and good looking and powerful and, and happy. And then as soon as those things start to fade, how do I handle suffering? How do I handle sacrifice? Well... It's interesting too because you know we kind of every Christmas is the one day when everybody's like be nice to each other, right? Like we're all grateful. Like let's share some gifts. We don't get expected pulled over by a cop on Christmas because he's going to be nice. Yeah. Did you do that? I did not. No. But I, I thought that though. Yeah. I spent a little more than usual on Christmas because uh, no cop's going to yeah, give me a ticket on Christmas. Pout, you better not cry, right? You know. <laughs> but like Christians are so weird because. Uh, the next day after Christmas, at least in the Roman Church, we celebrate Saint Stephen, mm-hmm. and he's the proto martyr killed by his own people. Right. Uh, then the next day is Saint John, so you know we kind of take a break. Then the next day is the Feast of the Holy Innocents, yeah. where we say, "Oh yeah, and by the way, like Jesus comes into the world, and there's you know peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and then the King, the ruler." orders the death of every child under a certain age yeah. so that he can ensure that he's still in power. Yeah. And it's like we're not looking for Christ to come so that everyone can be nice. Right. Like it, he comes to save men from sins. Right. And sin is I mean like you were saying original sin is the easiest Christian doctrine to prove to people. Yeah. Read any newspaper. Right, like and, yeah, I've actually I've actually had to stop looking at uh, certain websites because it's just like this teacher had relations with this underage student. This person knifed this person. Yeah. This person like has been stealing money from all these people. I'm like, people yeah. are wicked. Yeah, H- have you had the experience yet in your? 
what'd you call yourself last podcast, like a toddler priesthood, three yeah. and a half years. Like, mm-hmm. have you had the experience of, of like excruciating tough love you've had to love somebody with that is, that is, they get hurt by it. They distance themselves from you. They, it changes your relationship and yet it ends up bearing amazingly beautiful, good and holy fruit after that, those sacrifice of those things. No, I, I, I have maybe twice or three times in my 12 years. And it is, it is really a beautiful thing because when, and this doesn't always happen. Oftentimes you love with tough love and then you don't see the fruit of it. But, and I think, I think parents get this more than we do because of course they have to have the experience of, of telling their kids no, of, of telling their kids, you know, making their kids have these little sufferings and little disappointments for the sake of making them a good, healthy and holy adult. But when they become a good, healthy, holy adult, that that's in a sense, the reward of this. But I've had a few of those experiences where it has been so hard because I want to be gentle. I want to be compassionate and like the world's definition of compassion, just like tolerant, let them, let them do what they want you know, don't stop them. Don't make them anxious. Don't make them sad. Don't add any negativity to the situation whatsoever. But to see that that would have caused more harm. And then the reward is seeing them say, you caused trouble in my life. I suffered more because of you at that time, but now I am more restful. I am more holy and I'm much better off. I have received that from other people. Yeah. There we go. I've never, I've never done that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got to think. I'm sure I have received as well and that's I'm I'm being pretty Oh, I had a I had a priest say to me. I had a priest say to me once that uh you you just went to another priest so that he would tell you what you wanted to hear. <laughs> um and I'm actually going to tell you what you need to hear. Yeah. And I was so mad at him yeah. because he did not give me what I wanted. Right. And um and then it was probably I don't know two weeks later and I was like, no, I mean, two weeks later it ended up, you know, working out the way that I wanted, but then three years later it didn't. And then all of a sudden I was like, you were right. Yeah. You were right. And I refused to listen and I'm very appreciative that you weren't just tolerant or whatever. Yeah. That takes an incredible maturity and wisdom to do that. And and like confidence, you know, to be able to say, I I am going to cause someone to be mad at me for a period of time and hopefully they will come around. I mean, the church is so explicit about some things. Like this is the truth. And we are we are obedient, but it also starts to make sense. So that when you have to tell someone this, again, as gently as possible, as pastorally, let's say as mm-hmm. possible, so that there's there's at least you may need to put it in a way that they're going to hear it, and we need to have it presented to us in a way that we're going to hear it. Um, but there's it, the the world has such an aversion, and I think that's part of the aversion to organized religion is that some another human being, of course, organized religion. We are the church. It is, has the divine aspect. The church is the body of Christ, but also has the human aspect, which is this institution made up of sinful human beings. It's always going to be messy. It's always going to be confusing. This is how that's going to be forever. But there's a way of seeing that as beautiful. And most people in our society don't see it as beautiful. And I, I guess this is where I'm going with this, is that 
if we say like I only need the whole spiritual but not religious thing. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be me and God. That's all that matters. I don't need to involve any sort of organization or other people in this. Then we are we are removing from the equation our dependence upon other people, which is beautiful, the interdependence of it, but we're also removing from the equation the fact that I can suffer because another person sins. Like, it, it, the, again, I don't know how many times I just happened like three nights ago where somebody said to me, you're no better than Cortez who came in and slaughtered all these native Americans and took away their culture and imposed the Spanish culture on them. And all I was saying was that, that I stand fast and am confident in my celibacy. Like the fact that I'm not sleeping around to this person meant that I was imposing my morality on the rest of the world. Mm. And it was just, but it was like, I've been blamed as a Catholic for the Spanish Inquisition, you know, the 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 overrunning of the natives by the Spanish here in the US, you know, all the pedophilia scandal, all these things that 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 turn people off and and to turn everybody off in a sense from organized religion. But there's something so beautiful to say I like in the weakness of the church, I see the weakness of Christ. Christ became weak. He became weak. And the church, of course, is the body of Christ. The organized religion we participate in, the church, is the body of Christ. And therefore, organized religion is weak. Therefore, the church is weak because Christ's body was weak. And if we can see that as beautiful and say, I am a victim of what other priests have done. My ministry and my life is harder because there are some people that look at my collar and immediately the first thing they think is pedophile. That makes my life harder and it makes my ministry harder. And it's because of what other men have done that make my ministry and life harder. But that's because I have bonded myself and covenanted myself to the body of Christ and it was weak. Christ himself was a victim of other people's evils. He was himself was a victim, completely undeserving, and he suffered because of what we other human beings did. And so there's something so beautiful about having to change our behavior, having to adapt, and having to love in the spite of these immense weaknesses and, and horrible things other people have done. But as the one body of Christ, organized religion, as the one body of Christ, through virtue and holiness, we can, in a sense, make up for what they've done. I shared with you before, when I first came to my parish, there was somebody who said, you will never be my pastor because you're Irish. They hated the Irish people. The Irish were the bosses in the mills and the mines where the Slavs worked and they were abused by the Irish. And so since I was Irish, she said this to my face absolutely unapologetically. And my my response was, because I was kind of like shocked by it, I said, can't I try to make up for that? You know, can't what 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 can't a good Irish pastor halfway make up for these evil Irish, you know, mills and mines owners? But that like within the body of Christ, we can. We can redeem in a sense humanity through our participation in Christ's holiness and salvation. And people are always looking for a way to get around the the incarnation right. of both Christ and really the church. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting in the Christmas season, at least for us, we read pretty much exclusively from First John um, and the take home of that is how can you say that you love God if you hate your neighbor? Like if you can't actually love 
right? You can't actually love the other person in front of you. Right. How can you love a God that you've never seen? Um, so Christ becomes flesh for us in part to show us, like, it is possible, but then you have to do it. Right. And if you can't do it, then you're not even really excelling even in the watered-down version of the of whatever religion you've made for yourself. Well, and I so. think that aversion to organized religion and the aversion to religion at all, if I say I'm spiritual but not religious, I'm, in a sense, in a very objective way, removing my neighbor from the equation. I'm removing my interdependence upon them. Now, I know many people, many people who are spiritual but not religious, who love their neighbor and take care of the poor. Of course, I know many atheists and agnostics who love the poor and take care of them. They're better than that than I am in many ways. But at the foundation of what they're saying, being spiritual just means that I, for my own sake, and only in my own way, I'm not going to impose this on anybody else. It's just the way that I perceive the world. I become happier because I somehow have told myself, this, this is already sounding more and more harsh than I want it to be, but I've, I've told myself that, that, I, that I am open to deeper realities than what are just perceivable by my five senses, which is what atheists say. When people say that uh, atheists have to believe that the entire, everything that exists is perceivable by the five senses, that atheists have to say that, you know, or, or, or how they say there is no God, they can't. So, but people that are spiritual say, I acknowledge there might be something deeper and I pick up on those things every once in a while and, and that makes me happier but but they, they've removed in a very real, essential way the keystone of the structure, which is the love of neighbor. Not just the perception of God, but the love of God and also the love of neighbor. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, just, it's, it's just an easy thing to say. It's so easy sitting at a bar to say, I, I have a few convictions that I think are important that make me happier, but I'm not going to impose them on you. I don't want you to impose them on me. And, and, and we're not going to convince each other through anything that is not provable to change our life. And so the second thing was, was a, uh, the experience I had today of, of one of my cigar buddies died back at the end of November. And they had a, a quote, celebration of life today. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, about the difference between celebrations of life and funerals. Um, but the whole theme was, don't be sad. Like that was the entire theme of the whole thing was don't be sad, smile, laugh, let's tell funny stories. And, and I, I, it, it's in a sense the same, the same denial of the beauty of, of sacrifice, the beauty of Christ's sacrifice that make us sad. Like I was going to go on this whole rant <laughs> as I was thinking about this, this whole rant about how our society doesn't get how sad it's going to be beneficial. And I was like, wait. Like one of the most recent Disney movies was yeah. all about. <laughs> we watched that Inside Out, right? Yeah, was was all about how we need sadness and how sad is we. I was like, well, okay, not all of society. <laughs> that movie at least acknowledged that, but they were responding to something too. You know, you can't really watch that movie and get anything out of it without saying that part of me says that sadness is not helpful. And then you watch this movie and you realize, okay, what the movie is saying is that sadness can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Joy is good sadness is also helpful. So, but the, the most beautiful thing about this was that I don't want to rate rap on the rage on the whole thing too much. Like they got a lot, right? Like the whole, like, Oh, we're all going to wear cowboy boots. Cause he liked wearing cowboy boots. Like th- that's, that's the, the icing on the cake, but you don't have the substance there. And it was, it certainly wasn't anything religious or even spiritual. It was just this kind of, but th- they let people talk for an hour. People gave it, stood up and give talks. And like, 
there was, even though they said no crying, no sadness, only funny stories, let's celebrate his life, that just didn't happen. I mean, people get up there, they started crying. When they start crying, everybody else started crying. And I, I saw like people who tried to just be happy and joy, joy, you know, they, they couldn't do it. Like they, they, they automatically in their humanity found a depth that was very worthy of this guy. They found a depth that was very worthy of the situation. And one of the things, you know, you and I were talking about in the last podcast and during the break about things that we want to get better at. And one of my buddies, he stood up there and he's older than the guy that died. And, and, and he's, he read this poem and I walked up to him after I said, that poem was amazing. I said, did you get it from somewhere? Or did you copy it? And he goes, I will never tell, but he's, he's, he's so old. I don't think he knows that Google exists. <laughs> so he gave me the poem that he wrote, like um, that he printed out and wrote. And, and then I, I found it. This guy who read this poem, he, he, it was his own composition, but it was three other poems that he took little pieces of to make his own composition in memory of this guy. And it was so beautiful. So I'm just going to read the first part of the, the poem right here. He began, death be not proud, dark as the night from pole to pole. In the fell clutch of circumstance, he did not wince or cry aloud. For it matters not how straight the gate, nor charged with punishment the scroll. He was the master of his fate. He was the captain of his soul. By my troth, I care not. A man can die but once. We each of us, O God, a death. He that dies this year is quit for next. Count no man lucky till he have met a brave death. And then he finished with a man for all seasons which we know where that came from. But those first three stanzas were the first one was from, uh, I, I, I looked it up, but William Ernest Henley wrote Invictus, one of the best known English poems in the English mm-hmm. language, you know, about um, this being unconquerable. The second one was Shakespeare from Henry V. The, By my troth I care not, a man die but once. We each of us owe God a death. He that dies this year is quit for the next. That's Shakespeare. And then Herodotus, can't no man lucky till he has met a brave death. I was like, this guy walked into such a mod, postmodern funeral, what even funeral, a celebration of life, and brought centuries and centuries old wisdom, put them all together for this man that I thought was just absolutely beautiful. Because the poem that they chose for his his little celebration of life card here is "Remember Me," and I don't want to rip on this poet, but it's, I don't even know who it is. But "Remember Me in Quiet Days," and it's all about when you wake up in the morning and see the sun shining through your window. Remember me, so, but it's like it's like why, why? Like, like any any skeptic will say, why will that help? It's it's I, I, again, I'm getting riled up, but it's like it's selfish to remember me in quiet days when the sun comes through. Remember me. It doesn't it, me is not part of the equation. The, the person you're remembering, they don't think they exist anymore. It's all about making me happy or making me feel better by thinking of you. And it just it seems it seems so selfish, and there's just no no foundation there. And I, I want to build up the woman at the bar because she had some compassion is really, really good and necessary and, and an essential part of our humanity. I want to build up the organizers of this because they did so much right. Having a lot of friends, the place was packed and to say, of course we celebrate their life. But, but I think we apostles, we who are sent into the world are not doing a good enough job of saying, what you're doing is good and truthful and beautiful, but you're, you're missing a major point of depth when it comes to the incarnate word of God, the revelation of God, who is Jesus Christ, 
came into the world because we screwed up. He came into the world because we messed up. We broke a covenant that he had to fulfill through his own blood and through his own blood and through his own death. Through his own death, he welcomes us. He became human that we may become God. When we become divine with him, we therefore inherit the kingdom of heaven and we have life. This is all completely out of the goodness of God's heart. And this is so beautiful that if people just hear that message from the apostles, they, it, they'll respond because they're created in the image and likeness of God. And the fact that we're not doing a very good job of that because of our weakness is horrible. We need to get it fixed, but it's also part of the weakness that Jesus Christ himself became a victim of. And so, in a sense, even our weakness as apostles is beautiful. We just need to let it happen in a way that is is revealing the the purification, the hope that comes from that weakness, rather than the aversion to it that leads to despair. Yeah. I, anytime somebody tries to give you a line that sounds Christian without like things like community, grace, sacraments. Um, law i'm like how do you get to that place right you know right like you're trying to tell me i'm gonna get to china by like just walking over the pacific ocean i'm like nope you will not end up there right like it will not happen yeah like it won't maybe not china like because china you could just walk and you could figure out some natural way it's like you're trying to say i'm going to make it to mars just by (laughs) me willing it right and I'm like, nope, yeah. you will not end up in that place. Yeah. Like, you do not end up with the saints without, without like, Christ. Right. And Christ's action. And I don't know. the uh, Whenever people say, like, you know, I don't need organized religion or whatever, I'm like, oh, because you, you don't need hospitals or schools, right. <laughs> whatever. Because, like, that, those were our ideas. Right. You know, like yeah. the university, our idea. Yeah hospitals uh, a lot of this a lot of this cemeteries and i don't again i'm like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice dead. here but a, a lot of this stuff is is only it's an easy thing to say it's an easy thing and it, it it makes me feel good to say that all i care about is love and compassion okay define what is love the greatest definition of love is christ's self-gift and self-sacrifice for us. What is compassion? To suffer with, to have compassion, to passion with. Like, compassion is hard. It's presented as kind of this easy thing that every human being should be good at, but but when you really look at the root of compassion, like to suffer with, to sacrifice with, I'm going to walk with someone who's suffering. And part of that is the tough love we were talking about earlier. You know, tough love is hard, but that is what true compassion is. True compassion is, 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 is saying speaking into something into somebody's hurt and that they don't even acknowledge they don't even know is there but doing it in a way that says i'm i'm going to encourage you in every way i can to get out of this this place of hurt this part of damage and i'm going to suffer with you i'm going to i'm going to let you and your weaknesses affect my life i'm going to live differently because of what makes you weak and what makes you hurt that i'm going to let that change my life and it's going to make me hurt you know, I, I, my, my, my two little nieces, uh, when, when the niece was five, that was like three, the five-year-old came home from, I've shared this before, but my, my niece, Shaylee, when she was five, she came home from school and she was crying and something had happened in school that, that, that hurt her. And when she came home, my little niece, Claire, two or three years younger, also started crying just cause she was crying. And my sister-in-law looks at Claire and goes, why are you crying? And she goes, 
her hurt came into my body. You know, it was just like, how does a three-year-old describe compassion? As a three-year-old saying, I weep when she weeps. It was like, she just said her pain, her tears, her crying, like they somehow came over into me. You know, it was, it was beautiful, but it was simple. It was a child's response. But th- that's in a sense how we, how compassion is not easy and it's not hard and, and neither is spirituality. It takes conviction. It changes our life. And I think it's just we've gotten so used to since we're not, you know, we're not we're not suffering that much in the U.S. in general. We've gotten so used to kind of saying things that are just easy to say that don't cause a lot of tension, don't cause anxiety, and yet somehow make us feel good enough, or we don't need to feel guilty for not having some worldview that acknowledges the transcendent, or that does. But it's it's just it's just you know milk and toast. It's it's not not gonna change anybody's life even my own okay rant over rant you ranting <laughs> you were ranting <sighs> i couldn't really straighten you out you were just you were just going you were like you know uh george costanza's dad just well it, it, it was venting because i will i want to get better at being an evangelizer this was the biggest thing well, I, I don't know if i said it i said it to somebody recently i said I have spent so much time, so much time in the past probably six years trying to evangelize or at least convincing myself that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But how many of the people I've explicitly like tried to evangelize have actually converted? Very little, you, if any. But like in terms of how far gone some of these people are and you've got them to come a little bit further, that's a lot different than somebody else who just works with kind of lapsed Catholics and yeah. gets them to come back to mass. Like maybe. Yeah. Well, I definitely like working with people that are, that are very far gone, but, but, but like what, what is the second step when, when you have, um, Sherry Waddell's, uh, intentional discipleship, you know what never the second step is? Oh, never. Okay. Nope. I, thought, I thought every kid in focus had to read it. Um, anyway, the, the first step is trust, not like, like for someone that's coming into becoming a disciple, the first step is trust, I remember, but it's not trust in God, it's trust in the evangelizer, it's trust in the apostle. Mm-hmm. That That is the step that I've gotten to many times over, where I meet people there and they, they actually can say, like happened a couple of times last night, like, I know and I love a priest. A year ago, I would have laughed at that idea, but I know and love and trust and want a relationship with the Catholic priest. That would have been absurd for them. And like, so that I see is the first step. I need to look up what the second step is just to say, how do I, then I think it's like curiosity or something like that. There's just kind of a basic, let, let me think a, a bit about this, but it, it, I just, I feel, I feel like I have not brought people to the fulfillment of, of, of what these, these steps begin, but, but maybe that's asking a lot, but I, I obviously, obviously can do more. So th- what, I'll look it up and I'll figure it out. But, but th- this is, this is, I think what we're dealing with in the world. We're dealing with, uh, a, a culture that is has become very content with the easiest kind of just mundane things that don't cause anxiety or tension, and most of our society has accepted that as the reality. And thinks, and they would, many of them would posit that organized religion only brings tension, right? You know, judgment, judgment, chaos, yeah. disorder, yeah, war, yeah, and, and it's like. That that's and part of that is because we've been bad examples, but part of it is, you know, again, Christ came to divide. He said, you know, there there takes a real conviction. And you know, let let me let me let me finish with this because I know we didn't want to go too long, but 
Um, I want I want to read the entire poem of Invictus, um, just because it's it's not it's not long at all. But it it really is about it is about kind of the strength of soul. And there's a couple parts in here that I don't really like because they kind of build up the individual over any sense of surrender or or uh, re- reception to God and His power. You know, there's there's no weakness in here, but Invictus just means unconquerable. But this is Invictus by William Ernest Henley. I, I only read it for the first time today, even though I know it's one of the best, best known and best loved poems in English. But this is Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So it's part of that that he included in this in this poem for him, but he tied in Shakespeare and Herodotus, and anyway, it was it was great. So, all right, sorry I left you in. Stunned silence. <laughs> you yeah, also it's, get it. it's late. It's it's a good poem. It is late. Yeah. 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 This is what Mandela like. Right. Mandela read in prison and things like that too. I'm just trying to figure out how how you can have Invictus, which kind of speaks of individuality, and then you're yeah. trying to get people to not be individualistic. Well, right, right. Corporate and right. I I think I think the idea here is is who is the enemy. Like who's the one that's trying to conquer me? If it's if it's just like anybody, then yeah, it's like I'm relying on my own strength, which is not going to end well. We need to surrender to Christ. But but you know, th- there's enough references to evil in here. I think if we if we see if we see evil, but the the, the guy who wrote this poem for for my buddy was is it doesn't have a, a an active faith life. So yeah. I mean, he was he was using this and but I, that that's why I said there, there's something like it matters not how straight the gate. That's a reference to Matthew, you know, and the, the straight way mm-hmm. that the, the, the few go through. So, you know, this is a very, we, it needs to be oriented towards my life in Christ with Christ and the unity of theosis to say that Christ and I work together in all things. If I'm doing any of this apart from Christ, of course I will fail, as I should. Yeah. All right. Organized religion. Yeah. We're pro. That's why we're employed. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right. Um, I got a couple shout outs. Uh, so a seminarian of, of our eparchy, David Vondero, um, he has two friends that he doesn't listen to the podcast, I'm guessing, but he has two friends that heard him mention my name because I'm the vocations director. Uh, so Selena and Maria in Las Vegas, Nevada. A uh, shout out to you guys, Selena and Maria in Las Vegas, Nevada. Nice. Uh, close to Las Vegas, Nevada, Utah. Um, so Steve Sayah, he left our community yeah. um, and uh, got in his little, you know, new Subaru. <laughs> bought a Subaru and left Colorado and went out to Utah and is in PC school. He met a girl named Emily Kelly uh, who helped her helped him get into uh, PT school. And she listens to the podcast and has a wee baby in the oven and. Uh, wants a shout out for her and her husband Brian from Steve Sayah. I only say that because 
I'm sorry I missed you over the Christmas holiday. Um, I was too tired to get over to Sinead's house uh, for Tom and Jerry's. Father John was serving up Tom and Jerry's. They were quite potent, I heard. Nice. So, so anyways, congrats, Emily. And congrats. And after my rant uh, about uh, not being effective, um, I have to give some... Uh, give some comments to our podcast um the uh i met another woman at viale named Lori margheim um and uh she the first time i met her she did something came up with the podcast i told her what it was and she's now listened to almost all of them in like a month and so she just she uh just has it on like when she's going to sleep and it runs and she's she's she had a a lot of amazing questions uh like because she's she's I've been to Catholic Church like twice in her whole life. And so she went, listen to this. So she went with a friend after listening to the podcast, said, I want to go to Catholic Mass. So she went with a friend to Catholic Mass. She went to Risen Christ, which is her neighborhood church. And guess who was preaching? Father John. Father John Neppel. Crazy. <laughs> it was a, an amazing God moment um, there. So anyway, so she, so she's, uh, she's definitely been uh, intrigued by all things Catholic because of the podcast. So, so thank you, Father Nathan, thank you, Father John, Father Mike, all that. So God, the Holy Spirit's being effective. Amen. We have another podcast fan uh, who says she listens while driving, cooking, cleaning, and even working and hope to finish the podcast or catch up in some crazy amount of time like Jonathan McCoy, who finished in two weeks, although that was a few years ago. My guess is McCoy listened when it was like 100 episodes. Right. <laughs> um, but it seems I won't finish for another week or so. Um, oddly enough, she actually she's actually dating Christopher McCoy, uh, who some of us might know. He was uh, in the Jesuits for a while now. He left. Um, although, let's see here. Blah blah blah. Chris McCoy, great guy. Love blah blah blah. The podcast. Um, <laughs> Listen to the podcast, help me learn and grow in my faith, and nothing can be more than that. I can say thanks to you. I'm the strongest in my faith than ever before. Looking forward to the next 60 podcasts, then I'll have to start waiting for new ones. Happy Christmas. Until then, your fan and avid listener, Katie Ulrich. Love the banter, wouldn't be Catholic stuff without it. She sent a sweet Snoopy Christmas card. So, and she's from, oh, she's from San Luis Obispo. There is an amazing sandwich shop in San Luis Obispo, which I'm pretty sure you know of. Um, I've only been there once. We have a pair there, though. Yeah, that, and the gum wall, except I heard the gum wall's gone now, so. Oh. Anyways, cool. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I think we're a little getting close to time. Oh, one more. Yes. Uh, I almost forgot this one. Extremely important. Okay. You don't really care, although you would <laughs> remember it from a year ago. Okay. But Father Brady Wagner called up our favorite uh, cook and oh. friend of the podcast to make uh, chicken cutlets and meatballs for our uh, villa. Oh. Which uh, a couple years ago, last two years ago we had it, or last year we had it, and it was just kind of like 
lunch, food, whatever, and I made one of the most amazing meatball sandwiches of my life. Uh, this year we ate it for an actual dinner during the Alabama trouncing of Clemson, oh, yeah. Roll Tide. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and those meatballs are so good that I have to be careful because I very rarely get heartburn. But with those, I do because I eat them so quickly and so much. <laughs> so to Mike and Suzanne DeLucci, especially Suzanne DeLucci, who uh, I don't think Father Brady gave her more than like two days to oh. make all that food. Wow. Um, and she rocked it. So nice. thank you. It was as delicious as I remember. Nice. Okay. All right. Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. We are an organized religion yeah. podcast. <laughs> exactly. We are pro-organized religion. Um, oh, yeah. And, and uh, let's do to the state of New Hampshire. Oh, that's right. To the state of New Hampshire. <laughs> Keep rocking the free world. Don't know if anybody's listening from New Hampshire. Would love to hear from you. Cold snow, New Hampshire. Shout out to you guys. Bye.